Welcome to Merrick's Experts, the podcast that provides analysis of current affairs in China. From a highly publicized trade war to the assigning blame for the coronavirus pandemic, U.S.-China relations have loomed large during the Trump presidency and have worsened over time. With the new administration under President-elect Joe Biden taking charge in January 2021, what will change and what will remain the same? How have the last four years shaped the way both countries look at each other? To answer these questions, I'm joined by Head of Global China Research at Merrick's, Matt Fershen. Hello, Matt. Hello. Ahead of this year's election day, The Guardian argued whether Trump or Biden wins, U.S.-China relations look set to worsen. Um, do you agree with the statement? Well, first of all, I think that there is a bit of a misperception about this idea uh, that there is a consensus in the United States about U.S. policy toward China, whether we think of that as a bipartisan consensus, so Republicans and Democrats agreeing, or more generally, when we look at the specifics of U.S.-China policy. I think this is the idea that has become the sort of conventional wisdom over the last three or four years. But in fact, there are quite a few debates behind the scenes that have been going on. I think they're probably larger than most would imagine <clears throat> between the between the Democrats and, and the Republicans. But even within parties, uh, there are different discussions about, for instance, what kind of a trade policy would be most productive, uh, what where to go on competition over technology. So I think there's actually quite a bit of discussion uh, and disagreement, at least on how to deal with the China challenge, both within each party and then also uh, between the parties. And then connected to that, um, I think uh, this idea that there is inevitable tension or inevitable difficulties uh, between the U.S. and China uh, at a certain level. Yes, I agree with that. But the idea that they're destined to be conflictual, uh, I think, is mistaken. If we take on board the, the notion that there is uh, strong differences between both parties' views of, of U.S.-China relations and where they're supposed to go, what do we know about a, a new China policy under uh, President-elect Joe Biden? Yeah, this is where I think some of these ideas uh, about sort of what a more constructive policy toward China would be really do come into play. So where there is some, where it makes some sense to talk about a new consensus on U.S.-China relations is certainly that the sort of period of idealism or optimism uh, about the relationship has changed. The idea that uh, somehow the United States was going to get China to move in the direction that it wanted on economic policy or even potentially political reform. And that era is certainly over. So now the question is, especially uh, under a new Biden administration, how the U.S. can sort of pursue its policy relative to China in a more effective way. And this is where I see the discussion sort of lining up around this idea of what a truly competitive U.S. set of policies would be. So the, the new framing is that the U.S.-China relationship is one of strategic competition. Uh, but many of the people who are feeding into the Biden campaign foreign policy thinking and on China in particular have been critical of the Trump policy, saying, well, Trump, Trump has confronted China on trade policy, among other things. Has that been effective? Has China 
actually change the policies that the U.S. sees as problematic. So the, the challenge then for the Biden team is to try to come up with a more competitive set of policies in trade or on climate and trying to get China to actually move in the direction that the U.S. wants. So uh, competitive, that would be in a sense... Um competing with China on, on maybe a similar level or on a fair ground? Because if you take competitive as like confrontational, the, the Trump administration has sold more arms to Taiwan, put sanctions on Chinese officials over human rights violations in, in Xinjiang and Hong Kong. But there has been a lack of predictability in, in these relations. Isn't that correct? Right. So I think th this is why I think there's so much um, at stake in what we make of this idea of sort of what is Uh, the essence of a of strategic competition between the U.S. and China, and I think under the Trump administration, that has often been more about conflict uh, or about criticism, but not really sort of judging where U.S. policy has actually gotten China to move in a direction that the U.S. has stated that it that it wants. Again, trade policies are, are some of the the clearest. So this is where I see the discussions going in the U.S. Uh, in terms of saying, okay, what what can or should the U.S. do that is different and actually a, a more competitive U.S. set of of policies? So some of that would be, for instance, if the U.S. wants China to move on market access on sort of the fair fair trade uh, agenda, so market access, intellectual property rights, China's industrial policies. Um, Those were all things that were on the agenda in terms of the, the trade dispute between the U.S. And, and China under under Trump. I think what the Biden administration uh, will be looking at are ways of more effectively working with allies and partners in Asia and in Europe on that entire agenda, because there is a lot of crossover, especially in terms of what, for instance, European firms also worry about and what European governments worry about on this same set of issues. So instead of a unilateral approach, uh, a more cooperative approach with allies and partners in the sense that that may actually be a more likely framework to get China to move on some of these core issues than has been the case under the, the Trump administration. With this new approach to US-China relations, do you think the relations between the two countries are set to worsen, remain the same, or maybe stabilize a bit? What was your take on that? I think the immediate priority will be to stabilize the relationship. I don't expect the kinds of provocative uh, claims, for instance, relative to the coronavirus. Uh, I don't think we will get the kinds of racist terms that the Trump administration has used to portray China uh, and Chinese people and the way that sort of China has willingly foisted uh, the coronavirus on the United States and, and the world, I think that you're very unlikely to see that kind of an approach. I still think, and this goes back to the competitive framework, I think there will be a balance. I think the Biden administration, for instance, on health issues is more likely to take a cooperative approach, including potentially with China in the search for effective vaccines and implementing and putting those vaccines in people's hands who need them, including in, in developing countries. But there will also be a sense of competition and also a thinking about supply chains, how to make sure that uh, 
personal protective equipment and other kinds of health supply chains relative that are that are important for the coronavirus response that those are protected so it would be a mixed a set uh, of of approaches but it will certainly i think move away from the the provocative approach as the primary approach and then more generally trying to set the relationship on a stable footing politically though i don't think that the biden administration has a lot of room or wants to move towards what would be considered uh, an engagement agenda uh, or one that is sort of China friendly in some sense. I think there will still be a lot of skepticism, a lot of portraying many of China's domestic policies and its foreign policies as not aligned with American interests, uh, but also not aligned with the interests of many other regions of the world, including including Europe, and then trying to move on that front. Let us have a look at Chinese perceptions of the U.S. now. Um, you have stated in a recent opinion piece for Merix that uh, China views the U.S. as being in inevitable decline. The difference between the candidates was sometimes portrayed as who would change the pace of the decline with Trump increasing this pace and Biden slowing it somewhat down. How has the outcome of the presidential election been discussed in China, in, in official and, and social media, and has this view hold up? Yeah, I think this the fundamental approach on the Chinese side is not going to change that much. And this is something that I explore a bit in the, the recent opinion piece. Um, whether or not that decline is seen as sort of going to be sped up or, you know, the, that, that it will be sort of even more inevitable and faster if there had been another Trump administration or potentially slowed down, uh, under a Biden administration. My sense is that the longer term strategic considerations on the Chinese side have more or less remained in place. Uh, there are different opportunities, but also different risks for China now with a, a, a Biden presidency. Um, the opportunities would be to sort of stabilize what has been a very tense and difficult relationship, um, to potentially carve out some areas of, of cooperation, maybe on things like climate change. But these are also areas where China had been making aggressive moves to show that China and not the United States was a global leader and that China was the country to follow, including potentially in cooperation with Europe. Uh, so if the U.S. under a Biden administration becomes more active in some of these areas where the Trump administration had withdrawn, again, probably most obviously on, on things like climate, but also in sort of working with multilateral institutions and, and allies and, and partners, that, that in the short term creates challenges uh, for, for China's leaders. Uh, but the longer term considerations are that the U U.S. is going to more or less maintain this more competitive approach or the sort of um, attitude of strategic competition, um, not at all in a mood to sort of have an overall policy of engagement or drawn out discussions along the lines that used to take place in the strategic and economic dialogues under the Obama or Bush administrations. Uh, I think there is a realization that there are going to be tough discussions ahead and that China is going to need to also uh, continue its own policies of increasing self-reliance uh, and mitigating its own exposure to international interdependence. 
have you seen how the election was was covered in China? Have there been divergent voices on that, or was it fairly uniform uh, in, in in how it was covered? I think the a lot of what we saw was the sort of chaos surrounding the actual voting procedures, the uncertainty about the outcomes, uh, sort of reflection among those who were most critical of saying, ah, look, here's another example of how democracy can be chaotic or how the United States is sort of going down this road of inability to make decisions and sort of exposing some of the flaws of, of the system. So there was an opportunity for people to jump on board with some of those criticisms. But again, in, in the same way that a lot of these other discussions have been about sort of, um, you know, an assessment that the U.S. is in long-term decline, there's also a political angle here that's useful for more hawkish Chinese commentators, whether they are officials or think tank people or just everyday citizens, uh, on, on WeChat or something. Um, you know, there's a way that it's sort of, in the same way that in the United States, it's really difficult to be someone who might be talking about the need to have more engagement with China uh, and solving global problems. That's a difficult position to take in the United States these days. In the same way in China, it's uh, it's more politically correct uh, to talk about inevitable U.S. decline and the, the chaos and the problems with the U.S. system as opposed to China's system, which has supposedly uh, sort of come through in, in a way um, that shows the merits of the, the Chinese political and economic system in response to the coronavirus or resuscitating the the economy. Um, so actually getting at what people actually think uh, about this, I think it's going to take some time because I think behind the scenes, people realize that there probably actually will be some changes uh, under a Biden administration and they're going to have to take that seriously. Do you think in general a Biden administration would uh, improve the image of the US and China? I think to an extent, yes, but it really comes down to the ability of the Biden administration to actually implement some of its agenda. Um, there's a real possibility of gridlock again uh, in in D.C. So let's say that, uh, well, it's very clear that the Biden administration wants to move on a number of, of fronts. First of all, sort of effectively dealing with the coronavirus crisis. That's no easy thing. So the, the federal government in the U.S., can and should do more than it has, uh, but this is a really difficult challenge, uh, and it's not just the U.S. that's that's confronting it. So that's it's one thing to say as a candidate that you're going to effectively deal with this challenge. Uh, it's another thing to do it. The other the other big push then is on a sort of more environmentally friendly form of economic recovery. Uh, and that's a domestic agenda. It's also a foreign policy agenda. To the extent that the Biden administration is actually able to implement these policies, then that may be a signal to some of the critics in China and elsewhere that the U.S. has sort of righted the, the boat. But I think the bigger, longer-term question here is really how much of a long-term change has this election brought about? I think it's fairly clear that the U.S. is still a very divided place. Uh, and that's going to create a lot of uncertainty. And for those who are critical that sort of democracies can potentially be chaotic or unstable, uh, this is not going to change people's minds uh, on the Chinese side. This is Merrick's Experts. You're listening to my conversation with Matt Fershen, Head of Global China Research at Merix. 
Only hours after polls closed, President Donald Trump declared himself the winner of the presidential election and since then has questioned the election results validity. How has Trump's lack of care for the democratic process and democratic values undermined uh, the US's ability to stand up to China and other actors on issues of rule of law and human rights internationally? I think part of this has been a matter of Trump's explicit policies and sort of engaging with authoritarians, uh, whether that's in a place like Russia or uh, people like Duterte in, in the Philippines, uh, an unwillingness to sort of put those uh, issues of uh, human rights on in foreign affairs front and center, sort of a reluctance to engage on these kinds of issues, whether it's uh, Xinjiang getting in the way of trade relations or trade discussions or, or Hong Kong. Clearly, the sort of human rights component of some of those issues has taken a, a back seat. Uh, but this is also a signal to America's traditional allies um, in Europe and in parts of, of Asia that it makes it difficult for them to, to push these issues uh, more seriously as well in this broader agenda of what sort of a liberal democratic rules-based approach would be if the United States isn't acting on that, uh, then it makes it difficult for all the others, uh, especially in places like Europe, who are interested and find that a very important part of values-based engagement in foreign relations. It makes it very difficult for others. So this is something that definitely has been uh, a handicap in, in U.S. foreign policy. But then there's the whole domestic component of it, too, um, race relations in the United States treatment of uh, immigrant children being separated from their families, all of these things, the example that the U.S. Uh, has been setting domestically and all of the difficulties there, that's also another signal. It makes it very difficult for the U.S. to have moral standing in its foreign relations. Maybe you could go into more detail like how this uh, loss of moral standing has changed the U.S.'s ability to, to work internationally vis-a-vis um, more authoritarian countries, for example? Well, I think the one part of this agenda that is most interesting and important uh, in a broader sense is the way that China has basically been able to characterize development as a alternate Chinese version of a contribution to human rights. So this is what China has been saying domestically and increasingly on the foreign stage, that the Western approach to human rights is sort of, it misses this entire other aspect of improving people's uh, livelihoods uh, in terms of economic development. And, and on this score, China has done way better than anyone gives it credit for. And then the in terms of China's engagement internationally, including its Belt and Road Initiative and its broader development-themed agenda, it's basically saying, look, we are contributing to the well-being of both our own people and other countries. And this sort of has been allowed to sort of set the precedent as the United States sort of steps back from any kind of engagement on explicit human rights kinds of activities, including uh, at the United Nations and in many other aspects, or even dealing sort of cooperatively cooperatively uh, with, with the health crisis. Uh, but I think this is an area where we might likely see some change uh, of a Biden administration as well as sort of saying, wait a second, um, engagement uh, on issues of well-being uh, of a kind of prosperity agenda 
in regions like Southeast Asia, in regions like Africa or even Latin America is an area that has basically been um, has allowed China a lot of space to pursue its own interest and to set its own ideas of what sort of human rights actually is related to, to development. I think we'll start to see some movement on this. Uh, I think there's interest uh, in both the United States um, and, and in Europe in engaging with uh, sort of higher quality standards of development opportunities, including on um, infrastructure and energy uh, in, in Asia in particular. Under the Trump administration, the U.S. has withdrawn from international treaties, notably the Paris Climate Accord, and provided less international leadership, while China has stepped up its own efforts. Will we see a return of U.S. leadership on international issues under a Biden administration? Yeah, I think the one that's the clearest is climate and environmental issues. So as far as I understand, the Biden campaign or administration to be has already declared that on day one, uh, it will re-engage rejoin uh, the Paris Climate Agreements, uh, that this is both a foreign policy and a domestic policy agenda of the Biden team and also more generally uh, of the Democratic Party. So I think that one's fairly clear, this idea that the U.S. will sort of step back into a global leadership role, but also a cooperative one. And the real question there is because that was a real element to sort of climate cooperation with China under the Obama administration, it was the sort of one pillar of a positive element of, of cooperation. I don't necessarily expect that to reemerge. There may be elements of that. What I expect to see more of is cooperation. This may be a key component of a transatlantic agenda, but also cooperation with other countries uh, in, in Asia, and especially those countries that, that have more technologies or more ability to sort of provide some of these alternative energy sort of generation and also demand side um, cooperation on on a clean energy uh, agenda. So I think that's the the clearest one. I think there may be some reengagement on these development issues that I that I mentioned. Um, although I still think there's a need to move on this front. This is something I've been arguing um, in some U.S. discussions about how to sort of respond to China's Belt and Road Initiative. And there are already discussions about how, for instance, the U.S. and Europe and Japan can cooperate more on issues like high quality infrastructure. I think that's a little bit too limited in, in focus because I, as I was saying, what's, what China's offering is this entire, um, development agenda. And that is appealing to many developing countries who also see the need to move out of poverty and to, or to move out of the middle income trap issues that, that China is dealing with. So this is something that I think uh, the U.S. And, and Europe in particular need to talk more about, about what that agenda actually might mean in terms of cooperation. We've looked ahead at the prospects of the U.S.-China policy under future Biden administration but that will only take office on January 20, 2021. Until then, Donald Trump will remain the president and his behavior following the election does not indicate that it will be an easy or smooth transition period. Do you expect that China will make use of this time of uncertainty? I think on a few fronts, possibly yes. So uh, just in the, in the sense that there will potentially be a very difficult period here in which the Trump administration does not acknowledge the results of the election, does not concede. Again, this sort of feeds into Chinese narratives of democracy being chaotic. Uh, and in the K or, or being sort of unable to deal with the day to day challenges as the numbers, uh, coronavirus numbers 
go up and then hospitals fill up and that, that crisis just becomes more and more acute, it'll be relatively easy then for Chinese critics to point out the, the fact that the election results don't solve any of these issues and maybe even make them worse in the short term. If we get more potential violence on the streets of the U.S. and sort of highlights these uh, the the polarized political and social environment again that may be an area where China sort of points that out on the foreign policy front I think the the there might again if Trump comes out and says well in the meantime we're going to further undermine environmental regulations in the United States or try to put in term longer term blockages in in terms of the ability uh, of the U.S. to cooperate internationally, um, then China might be able to step into that void even more and say, ah, but look, here's, here's what China is offering, uh, in terms of climate engagement or sort of seeing an, an opportunity in the near term to sort of bolster discussions with, uh, Europe, uh, on, on some of these issues and especially climate while the U.S., um, waits for the new president to come in, in, in January. But I would say the other side of this is that, uh, the likely um, unpredictable kinds of opportunism might come from the Trump administration itself, uh, kinds of provocative policies in terms of even Taiwan uh, changing the status quo of the one China policy, that sort of provocative, potentially disruptive maneuver uh, is potential uh, disruptive outcome on the on the on the U.S. side led by the Trump administration on the Taiwan issue. What are Taiwan Taiwanese perceptions of what's at stake in the election? From what I've seen so far, is that there's not an expectation that there would be a major difference. There's a general sense that the status quo would be largely maintained. I think the other side of this, though, when we saw this when Trump first was elected, you know, phone calls with Taiwan leaders that are provocative to the mainland, um, the, the possibility that Taiwan could become even more of a geopolitical football that makes it really difficult uh, to sort of maintain stability in that U.S.-China-Taiwan triangle. Um, the, the, even if the Taiwanese perception is that there will be a sort of maintenance um, of the status quo that still could be disrupted again if there are political calculations either on the, the U.S. Or, or the mainland Chinese side. We've talked so far solely about U.S.-China relations on a country-to-country basis. Um, as a last question, could you elaborate on how the relationship between the people of both countries has been impacted? One of the clearest signs of the deterioration of the U.S.-China relationship is people-to-people connections. You see that probably most clearly in uh, Chinese students studying in the U.S. And this was our, there was already skepticism, concern about the security risks of having, for instance, Chinese graduate students in the sciences or technology and whether or not they were then part of Chinese efforts to steal technology, undermine American security interests or just sort of technology advantages. 
but then the the coronavirus has obviously added to this as well. And so it's really difficult for Chinese students who are in the U.S. by the hundreds of thousands uh, to study. It's difficult for Americans who are researchers about China to be able to go to China to have discussions with their Chinese counterparts. Equally difficult for Chinese researchers to have those kinds of discussions, uh, including in international relations or think tanks with their American counterparts. So I think something, uh, and this this basically leads this deepens a sense of mistrust of misunderstanding. It, it enhances the the possibility of misunderstandings, and I think this is an area where we are likely to see some movement under a Biden administration just to try to put a bit of a floor under this deterioration in people-to-people relations. I don't expect a really quick recovery, uh, but this is an area where we might see some improvement. And I think it's really important uh, for both U.S. uh, and Chinese side to have more discussions, even if there are very difficult uh, and enduring uh, challenges in the relationship, better understanding what the other side is thinking is really important and having discussions about trying to make sure that a crisis doesn't evolve into an actual conflict. On that note, thank you, Matt Ferschen. Yeah, thanks for having me. Matt Ferschen is head of global China research at Merix. He joined me for a discussion of US-China relations after the presidential election in the United States. Links to the articles mentioned will be provided on the Merrick's website. Thank you all for listening. Until next time, goodbye. You have been listening to Merrick's Experts, the podcast from the Makato Institute for China Studies in Berlin. If you want to learn more about our work, please visit us at merrick's.org.